Hi, everyone. Uh, today is another edition of our podcast, Unscripted Curiosity. Today is version number 15, I believe. My name is Felix Wong. Uh, I lead Hedgeye China. On the call, I'm joined by Andrew Freeman, the leader of Hedgeye Communications, and um, Omni Joseph, the head of Hedgeye Tech, can't join us today, but he'll definitely be on the next podcast. Um, I was figuring today our kind of topic of discussion will be to kind of talk about the music area. It's been under, uh, there's a lot of influx, there's a lot of things going on, and love to pick Andrew's brain on, you know, his latest thought on players like Spotify, maybe even Pandora, and um, and we can, you know, I'll talk about my area as well on the music side with sense of music and a couple of other names. So without further ado, maybe I can just, um, you know, uh, pass it on to Andrew and maybe you can update your, your thoughts on what's yeah. happening on the musical, at least in the Western part of the... Yeah, the happy world. to, Felix, and thanks for that intro. Um, no, I think I'll take a, take a stab at it a couple different ways just kind of talk about how I think about the industry and then Spotify specifically, and then maybe some different levers in the model. Um, and then how I think about the growth rates and valuation. And then we can tie it back to Tencent because uh, actually Spotify has a stake in Tencent. Um, <clears throat> but the music industry is, is interesting, especially as it relates to kind of the DSPs or these, you know, digital streaming platforms like a Spotify. Uh, it's a pretty competitive industry. Um, you know, we've seen Apple come into the space with Apple Music. Amazon's been pretty aggressive in the space. Um, Google recently with YouTube and their subscri subscription service um, starting to bundle in uh, music as part of that as they kind of pivot away from the Google Play Store in the last call it six to nine months. So you have the big tech guys all with their own services. Um, and so I think, you know, kind of a popular view on the bear side is that you know, what is your competitive advantage or point of differentiation for these services? Um, because at the end of the day, they don't really own any content. Now, on the music side, we can get into podcasting in a second, but historically, you know, the music labels, the Warner Music Groups, the Universals of the World, they have all the rights. Um, and a Spotify pays out a very high percentage of every dollar that they make in subscription and advertising revenue back to the music labels. It's in excess of 70%. Um, and so that leaves very, very little in the way for Spotify shareholders on the profit side. Um, in fact, historically, their operating income has been uh, non-existent. Um, so their gross margins have been kind of in this mid-20s, to call it 25 to 28% range for a very long time. Um, and so, you know, how do the, how does Spotify ultimately get to scale? And then you also have the issue of just increased competition, right? So one of the ways you could possibly, if you're Spotify, get some type of incremental, um, profitability running through your model is if you can raise price and potentially, you know, capture a share of that, that would not necessarily go all back to the labels. Um, so getting higher incremental margins there. Um, but the risk then is, well, if you believe that a Spotify or is kind of a commodity service, 
because all these major streaming platforms all have the same, you know, music catalog, then, you know, why wouldn't you just switch over to Apple Music or an, or an Amazon, especially if these services are getting bundled in with a broader set of services or even the hardware, for example, and you're, and you're basically, if you're Spotify, you're competing against free. So that's been really the big dilemma from a top-down standpoint, um, you know, on, or at least on a competitive front. Um, and what we've seen is that Spotify has actually been pretty good at striking distribution partnerships and continuing to innovate um, on the product side, on the UX, to kind of keep these keep customers around. And, you know, their churn rates have come down over, you know, over the last several years, which is positive, um, albeit, you know, Apple has gone from almost non-existent in this space to one of the largest uh, players in the last call it three to five years. So, you know, if we look at Spotify's kind of share of overall engagement in the market, it has gone down. Um, <clears throat> and then I think, you know, for music, just like with any content company or, or, you know, entertainment in the entertainment industry, it's, you know, who is capturing the value, right? So, you know, in, in video land for streaming and, you know, what we've seen is that, almost all the value is getting is accruing to the consumer and also to talent. And that's coming in the form of, you know, uh, relatively inexpensive access to great content because Netflix has come in and underpriced, you know, relative to, um, you know, linear, right. Made available their service from anywhere from eight ninety nine to thirteen ninety nine a month. Um, and then spending extreme amounts of money on content, which is accruing to, um, you know, the, the talent actors and actresses and agents. So, um, and that comes at the cost of the economics to, you know, the studio or the, or the distribution partner in, in this case, and that, well, in that case, it'd be Netflix. And so, you know, the same setup, you see, we see the same setup in, in the music world, right? Where the labels own all the rights. Um, and as I said before, a high percentage of every single dollar that gets brought in, uh, gets paid back out to the labels and goes back to the artists. And I'm not going to get into kind of the breakdown between, you know, what the artist gets versus what the label keeps, but that's kind of what we've been seeing. And, you know, I think in the very, very long term, if you're thematic and uh, if you want to make a bull case, I, I, and I, and I do believe this is true is that, you know, there should like the demand creators, those that actually own the demand and the consumer relationship, which is in this case is a Spotify, um, should be able to command a larger share of the economics um, <clears throat> from the service that they provide. Um, and if I look at the margin profile of, you know, and the free cash flow profile of a music label compared to a Spotify, it's night and day. So, I think that as these platforms continue to grow and scale and assert their dominance and control over the consumer, um, that they will be able to go back to the music labels and attract, and, de and I don't want to say demand because it's very much so a partnership, but they'll be able to get better terms um, that I do believe will probably come at the, the margin, the cost of margins on the label side um, because you know, while this market is starting to grow again after, you know, physically saw years and years of declines of physical units uh, and the shift to streaming, um, it is beginning to start to grow. 
And so as the pie grows, you know, you would like to think that, you know, a Spotify would benefit in that scenario, again, as, especially as they command a larger share of overall listening hours. Um, <clears throat> so that's kind of how I've been thinking about the core music piece. You know, we were, you know, biased long on Spotify, really worked like last November when we put it on through February. Um, and we were expecting them, you know, several catalysts to kind of unlock, uh, you know, additional leverage in the model, specifically podcasting. You know, I was expecting them to launch a podcasting service directly um, for their own content. And so, you know, think about it like, you know, you launch a, ser a podcast subscription service that gives you premium content for $3.99 a month. You know, you have over 200 million, um, you know, MAUs worldwide, 100 and call it 65 million subscribers. You know, you, you assume like some take rate on that times $3.99 a month. And you assume that this is the content that they own. So the incremental margin on that is probably pretty high, like maybe like a 65%, 70% gross margin compared to like 25% gross margin on the music side. And so you could see how as they launch that, you know, it would be a nice little uh, piece of profitable revenue to roll into your model and get upside. Because really for the valuation, uh, it's the, the question is like, how do you get gross margins up if you're Spotify? Because you know, that's ultimately what you're going to pay for, right? Multiple of future EBITDA, gross income, however you want to look at it. And, you know, historically, Spotify has traded, you know, anywhere from call it like one and a half times sales to as high as six times sales in February this year. It's now back to like two or three times sales, which is probably, you know, the right way to think about it if you believe that this is more of just a commodity service that will never gain any type of, you know, margin or any type of leverage. Um, and obviously, right. February was trading at six times sales. They were much, they were, you know, the street was expecting probably what I was expecting was to have this incremental service launch to help support, you know, profitability. Um, but that hasn't really happened. And then I guess the last point I'll make before I'll hand it back to you is, um, you know, this whole concept of original content and podcasting and going exclusive, right? signing exclusive deals like Joe Rogan in order to try to, you know, provide more value to the user in a more, in an increasingly competitive marketplace where it's hard to differentiate just on the, on the music side. So can you diversify listening hours away from music to podcasting? What is the impact that have on lifetime value of a, of a subscriber and ultimately churn rates? Um, you know, unfortunately it hasn't, you know, they amortize those costs and spent a lot of money. Um, so though it hasn't really shown up in the gross margin, if anything, it's been a headwind to the gross margin and keeping them flat and offsetting a lot of the leverage that they've seen from growth in advertising. So it's been a little bit disappointing. Um, but you know, I think Spotify long-term is, you know, it's a multidimensional platform. They're trying really hard with their two-sided marketplace initiatives to get scale. Uh, they're, getting into the creator economy more recently by launching like a Patreon style podcast subscription service for premium content. Um, so I think there's have a lot of irons in the fire, but it kind of remains to be seen how that translates ultimately to a winning investment on the long side. So I will leave it at that. Hopefully I did not bore you. 
<laughs> of course not. That was fantastic, Andrew. I, I actually have a lot of questions for you because, uh, you know, I'm not too familiar with how the music model works in the U.S. So I uh, appreciate, uh, and I bet the listeners appreciate your introduction to that. I, I, the first question I have for you, Andrew, is in, in right now, so uh, I'm sure you're aware, right now in China, um, the biggest player of the Tencent Music is under a lot of pressure because they have all these exclusive copyrights with many of the music labels, particularly the big three. Um, you know, uh, UMG, Warner, and then Sony, and then a couple of the smaller mid-tier labels. What is Spotify's relationship with, with them? In other words, do they have any exclusive copyright with these labels? Um, can, or not really? Just, yeah, can you just, like, when you say exclusive copyright, can you just maybe, like, elaborate on that? Like, what do you mean exactly by exclusive? So, if, for example, like, if Beyonce comes out with a hot song, uh, I don't know which particular label she's associated with, but mm-hmm. Spotify basically goes out to Beyonce and say, hey, look, we'll pay you X percent um, mm-hmm. if you just license your songs directly to our platform. You can't do it to <laughs> others, like Apple Music, Pandora. Yeah. I-, I wonder if, 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 but what ends up happening is then Spotify can sub-license that to Pandora, Apple Music, and others. Yeah, and yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's, kind of that, that's super helpful. Yeah, so so the the this and this brings into like the question that I love to debate is like what's the value of the labels, right? In a world where you know A and R isn't as valuable because you know an up and coming artist can go viral on YouTube or TikTok overnight you know, like what role do they have? And so why, you know, and if a Spotify, Apple, Amazon control the demand and the platform, then why can't they just go circumvent the labels signed directly with artists exclusively and, you know, try to compete that way. And so Spotify historically, like they tried, so there's, there's ways, there's software where it could, you know, if you're just, some guy in a garage has a garage band, right. And is just recording on their iPhone and MP3. They can upload that through a third party software platform to all the major streaming services like Spotify, Apple, Amazon, almost like you would upload a podcast today. Um, Spotify tried to do that a couple years ago. And then like three, four months later, they shut it down. And the reason why they didn't explicitly say this, but I think the reason why they shut it down is because they made the labels unhappy. And so the short answer to your question is no, Spotify does not have any exclusive agreements with artists for their albums or for their content, because those are usually buttoned up very, very tightly with, um, you know, with the labels. Now, maybe that's different in China. I I don't know, like if like, you know, a, a master or like some, whatever contract is with, you know, a universal, for example, it doesn't apply to China, maybe applies to the rest of the world. I'm not exactly sure, but usually the labels have a really tight grip on that, which doesn't give Spotify much uh, room to, to go in that direction. What we have seen, however, and SiriusXM has done this historically, and SiriusXM owns Pandora, is, you know, they've kind of 
been able to reach out to artists directly for more like promotional things, right? Like, so, Hey, come on to this talk show, you know, come on, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll pay you X, Y, Z dollars. And, you know, if you're at a, if you're at a live concert, you know, will you, you know, host a certain event on the side? Um, so there's, there's ways to kind of get around it where the platforms and the radio stations can, you know, negotiate some kind of side agreements. Um, with the artists themselves, but it's not exclusive for the content, like not exclusive for the song itself. Um, <clears throat> so it's interesting that if that's the case in China, I'd love to le- learn a little bit more about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in China, it's, it's very helpful, Andrew, because I wasn't sure if the same situation occurs in the U.S. I'm, I bring this topic because right now in China, the regulators are going after this. Um, in other words, you can't have any more exclusive copyright anymore. You can't have some something called master license with yep. some of the big labels. So you got to basically mm. open up your platform. If you have a popular song, everybody gets access to that to that song. Now you have to agree. You have to do some negotiations with the labels, but you have that option now. In the past, you you really didn't because what ends up happening was a big player like Tencent Music, they go out to Universal and say, all right, we're going to pay an exorbitant amount of money just so that we have the most popular songs in our library exclusively. And you guys can only do exclusive copyright with us. Well, Tencent is Tencent the only, I mean, Tencent is the only game in town for like, you know, in terms of like the big streaming platforms or like how competitive is it from, you know, a, a user standpoint? They're the number one. I mean, they have over 600 million MAUs on the music side. Yeah. They're the biggest. They're they're the biggest player in China, but there are others. The number two player is Cloud Music. Many um, Cloud Music. Uh, mm-hmm. You had uh, other ones like Migu, uh, and then you know even Xiaomi has a little bit on their side. But I, I think it's basically NetEase Cloud Music and Tencent Music. Those are the big two. I would say in the music space, but Tencent Music has an enormous market share. They have at least 70% plus of mm-hmm. the uh, of the revenues on the music side, and also you know at least that on the on the user side. So that's why they're they're being targeted right now in China when it relates to anti-monopoly, anti-exclusivity. Basically, the government, the regulators, want them to open up their copyright. Now this is um you know this is and they own the copy they own the copyright with the artists like where do do you know how where the labels play a role in all that because that's that's all very interesting and and seems very different I, to how everything I, I is think, running. yeah I think I think the contracts are pretty intricate I I don't have specific details but like a ten a, a ten cent negotiating with the labels for the rights to like Taylor Swift's latest album or is a ten cent going directly to Taylor Swift and saying hey will give you a big, you know, bag of cash and directly and you and we get the exclusive rights to distribute your music. Yeah. That that's a great question. Right now it's it has been the labels control the process. Um, yep. they have the upper hand when it comes to negotiation. So if you want any kind of, you know, hot music content, you have to go through the labels. You have to ne- negotiate you can't go directly to the artist. Now that was in the past. These days some of these artists in China become more and more popular themselves. They decide to do their independent route. What I mean by that is they decide to set up their own music 
studio. They decided to set up their own music label um, and, you know, circumvent the big three because they don't need them. They feel like they yep. can do it on their own. That gets to my second question to you, Andrew, which is one of the big phenomenon right now in China is what they call independent artists. The artists without a big label attached to them. They're all original artists or original musicians, those terminology. Mm-hmm. Is that is that is there any kind of momentum here in the in the in the U.S. on that on that front? I mean, because you know, I, I see all these you know, America Got Talent, all these theme competitions, theme things. <laughs> Have there been any any kind of momentum there? And is there any way to capitalize on that? From, yeah, from a couple of the companies that you follow. So I'm actually trying. Okay, so it's something I look at. And it's a great thesis, right? Because, like, the holy grail for Spotify is the two-sided marketplace, right? And so if they could just allow, like, upload for all their artists directly and, you know, take some type of percentage uh, of revenue from the artists and bypass the labels, like, there's a lot of value to be captured there. And, you know, yeah, we've seen, like, a rise in kind of the independent artists so um, let's see here. I'm just looking at a, some a, a slide from our deck in December, which has kind of Merlin, which is the large kind of uh, independent. Um, hold on one second. Yeah, so it's the large kind of like independent group where that manages a, a lot of the royalty payments uh, and distributions. And so if I look at kind of where it was in 2015, 2016, it was 232 million in annual payouts to independent members. In 2018, 2019 is 845 million. So you're growing at a 54% kegger. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and like, if we look at the entire, but if we look at like the entire market though, in terms of like global recorded music market share, like of, of the big three, you know, independents are about 27%. Um, you know, Universal is 31%, Sony Music is 21%, Warner is 18%, Independents, like I said, are 27%. Artists Direct, which is, I think, like the purest form of it, right, um, is only 3%. But, you know, that is growing much faster than the overall market because you do have these, you know, music distribution platforms, um, you know, the ma- like the majors have in-house distribution, right? But there's also like these open distribution platforms like a CD Baby or Distro Kid or, you know, there's even some white label services as well. So where you can just upload but, the services yeah. if you're an independent and you can try to monetize that way. But has the audience really responded to that? Because I'm just trying to understand from the U.S. side, like when they open up a Spotify what's the likelihood they're going to listen to a song that's not no it's know, it's no i mean and that's that's brand. that's now yeah that's the value i mean look like any type of media content curve right like and if we look at viewership or consumption listening hours like has a very 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 everything has a long tail to it right yeah no it, it's very small like i like you know the, there's always a long tail of consumption and so you know and you can pay you know, if you want, you know, on Spotify's platform, they have tools where you can kind of promote your own song um, and advertise it to try to build awareness. 
But in terms of like the share of like top 200 global streams and like where these smaller independent artists like fall in line, it's, 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 it barely registers. Right. And so that's still like the labels have like a ton of control in that respect. Right. And that's also kind of like the value still of a label. Right. We can think about like what's their value in, you know, in A&R, but on the flip side, like there's still value here because, in, in like career development, right? Like it's, it, there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes, you know, to make Taylor Swift a huge success, right? There's managers, there's, she has a whole enterprise back behind her. And a lot of that's supported by, um, you know, the labels and then, uh, and, and the labels like make and break people's careers, right? So there's still that element as well, which is why you're still seeing like major artists or in emerging artists, still go the label route because they also pay you like a lot of money up front. <laughs> right. So they kind of fund you that way. Um, you could, and look, I, I, you speak, I suppose like a Spotify or Tencent, like they could become like serve a lot of the functions of the labels over time. Um, but you know, that's certainly not where we are today. And just given how like the rights work and the duration and the complexity of these contracts for masters, like, it's hard to say like that's going to change in a meaningful way, like in the next like five to 10 years, like you've seen like, you know, Taylor Swift, like had one of her masters bought by like a hedge fund. I can't remember the name. And then she like went out and re-recorded it. Right. So she owned it. You've seen Kanye West, you know, battle for the rights for his masters. Like it's, it, but these are like, you know, platinum artists, right. Uh, so it's it's a little bit it's a little bit different. So yes, we're seeing the rise of like independence, but it's very very small, and it's hard to really see like where that becomes like a major major portion of listening hours, um, or it's kind of the trend, and rather than the exception. Gotcha, gotcha. Just one last question, uh, Andrew, on, um, before we run, run out of time here. You were mentioning podcasting strategy. I, I feel that that's a really interesting uh, topic. Um, I was wondering, how are the U.S. platforms thinking about monetizing it? Is, it? is it through a subscription model, as you mentioned earlier, or is there other ways to monetize it? Um, there may be advertising or some other angle. Yeah. It's it's almost all advertising. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, you know, we've seen a mad dash to acquire uh, all the podcast publishers and roll that up in the last kind of several years, or any of the big premium, you know, tech platforms that power these services. Um, you know, so the ad tech was historically very far behind in music, and so you know these companies have been building it out. And that revenue is growing rapidly and it's revenue that a Spotify can actually keep, which, which helps support margins. But, um, but yeah, it's primarily an ad monetization model. Um, I think that in the future, there's probably potential here for subscription service, like for, for like super fans for like Joe Rogan to get exclusive content. Um, you know, We've seen, like I alluded to earlier in the conversation, Spotify is launching a kind of Patreon-like podcast tool um, that enables, you know, podcasters on the platform to charge a subscription 
um, for premium content. And, you know, if you have a large enough audience or if that's the route you want to go, then, you know, that can work. I think they're charging anywhere from like $2 to $150 for that type of a month for that type of content. And, you know, as of right now, you know, Spotify is not taking any type of share of that. Um, you know, they're only getting, they're, they're actually foregoing any subscription take off that, uh, it's only going to be, I believe, three years from now where they're going to take a 5% take um, off that revenue that they generate from these creators. and But that's also like a direct response to like heightened competition, right? Because Apple came out and launched announced something similar, um, and Apple's very dominant in podcasting. So Spotify had to come out and say, look, we're going to do the same thing, but since they don't own like their own hardware platform and the market's more competitive, they have to forego economics, which I think is in the shorter term, which is the right call to make strategically. You know, it's not great if you're, you know, an investor or an analyst building out a model and you're looking for ways to get gross margins higher. It's not, you know, giving stuff away for free isn't really ideal. Um, so we'll see how it all shakes out at the end. Awesome. Well, this has been uh, hugely insightful, Andrew. And uh, unfortunately, we've run out of time. I'd love to continue this debate with you uh, on the music side in another episode. But as of today, uh, that's all the time we have today. And thank you all for listening. And stay tuned for the next podcast. Thank you. The preceding has been presented for informational purposes only. None of the information contained herein constitutes an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security or investment vehicle, nor does it constitute an investment recommendation or legal tax accounting or investment advice by Hedgeye or any of its employees, officers, agents, or guests. This information is presented without regard for individual investment preferences or risk parameters and is general, non-tailored, non-specific information. This content is based on information from sources believed to be reliable. Hedgeye is not responsible for errors, inaccuracies, or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual expressing those opinions and conclusions and are intended solely for the use of Hedgeye's subscribers and the authorized recipients of the content. All investments entail a certain degree of risk, and financial instrument prices can fluctuate based on several factors, including those not considered in the preparation of the content. Consult your financial professional before investing. The information contained herein is protected by United States and foreign copyright laws and is intended solely for the use of its authorized recipient. Access must be provided directly by Hedgeye. Redistribution or republication is strictly prohibited. For more detail, please refer to the Terms of Service at Hedgeye.com slash Terms of Service.